peace and harmony. You know, that's all good, right? That's for sure. Then uh, some people who are maybe more honest will say, I'd love a, a billion dollars, right? That's their wish. And, well, today we're going to look at uh, this passage and we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul and what really is his wish. Um, and it's his wish for the Ephesians. It's actually his prayer for the Ephesians. It's the thing that he wants most. Uh, because I think what he's doing is he's understanding what God wants most for the believers in Ephesus. Um, so I want to dig into this and learn about what he's asking. He's asking really that the Ephesians would be transformed by the infinite love of God. That's what he's praying for them. And by way of the fact that it's in God's word and it's, it's supported with all of God's word, we should understand this as actually God's desire for us. And so in light of that, let's pray. Um, let's pray and ask him to help us. I don't want this message to be merely informational because that's not what God's word's about, certainly not what this passage is about. I want it to be transformational. And we can't do that. I can't do it on my own. Uh, I can't do that at all. But God can. And he wants to do it. So let's ask him. Let's ask him in sincerity right now together that he would change us by his word. So Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the truths behind it, the glorious truths. We thank you for who you are. You are alive. You are the one who reigns. You are real and you are mighty. And you do visit us by your spirit. And so I ask right now as we look at your word, visit us in power to be changed by your word, to be transformed by your infinite and glorious love. Even in this time Today, we ask. We thank you, Lord. We, we seek you. We depend on you. We thank you for your love for us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's word from Ephesians three fourteen through 19. In 1997, Eleanor Ames, a professor in British Columbia and a mother of two adopted children, published her research on the long-term wellness of adopted Romanian children. In her paper, she describes the conditions in the orphanages. I'm sure you've heard about these, the orphanages back in the 90s and previously. In these orphanages where children abandoned by their impoverished parents languished in neglect and malnourishment. She says, I saw children more passive and silent than any I had ever seen in my 35 years as a child psychologist. Children younger than about two spend 18 to 20 hours a day lying quietly in their cribs. They had little to look at and almost nothing to hear. Each caretaker was in charge of at least 10 babies and seldom talked to the children or picked them up. Most babies and non-toddling toddlers were uninterested or unresponsive. Children ages three to six were more lively, but their behavior toward each other seemed unfocused, and they did not play together in organized ways. She studied the children over the next five years or so. 
As severe as these behaviors were, most children that had very caring and resourceful adoptive parents came alive. They were interactive. They were able to overcome many severe emotional and behavioral problems. It's as if once they knew that they were loved as individuals and treasured by those near them, they came alive. They were no longer essentially zombies, but beloved children and a family. Thank God for the, the wonderful gift of adoption. Um, and these are just some pictures. These are actually not the same two boys, but boys in the orphanage and then boys who were adopted later. Well, I share that story. First, it's just a wonderful story and the power of adoption, but it also illustrates the reality of the need for love. The need to know that we're loved. And certainly God blesses us with love from one another. But what I would submit to you is if your dependence for love is on another person, it will ultimately disappoint you. That we are made as humans to depend not merely on human love and not ultimately on human love, but on God's love. And that we are in danger and it only really takes certain tragedies or disappointments in life to flip us into zombie mode. And God wants to help us that in his love we would have the power to endure difficulties and yet still know we're loved, we're safe, we're secure. To also, in that love, to strive to love each other deeply and to love others as well. To, to find in God a love that is an infinite resource for us for all of life. And I would submit again, without that, you are ultimately bankrupt and you will face things that will undo you. And so this word in Scripture and throughout Scripture is for us to grasp and to take in, recognizing we desperately need to grasp and understand and experience and live in and overflow with the love of God. So let's dig into this passage with that in mind, with our desire to know this, and look at what Paul says. He starts out this passage, he says, for this reason. Now, we ought to ask, for what reason? What is he talking about? And if you back up a little bit, uh, before chapter 3, verse 14, to chapter 3, verse 1, and then earlier in the letter, he says the same thing. He says, for this reason, at the beginning of chapter 3, and gets ready to start to talk about it, but then gets diverted for a little while, talking about his ministry and, and his call. So he says, for this reason, earlier in chapter 3, so for this reason where we are, actually is a, a repeat of his earlier for this reason. And if you read Ephesians, you'll see for that reason, at that point, he's looking before in chapters 1 and 2. What's in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians? What, is chapter, what are chapters 1 and 2 about in Ephesians? Simple answer. Somebody knows it here. One word answer. Always the best answer. Jesus. Chapters 1 and 2 are about what, <laughs> what Jesus has done. Who he is. What he has done. And, and the good news. The good news of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and all that comes with it. All the, all the vertical components and all the horizontal components of the gospel. That's what's going on in chapters 1 and 2. Paul wants them to understand the, the wonder of the good news and what it means that God took on flesh. Actually, before that, God the Father has loved us from eternity. And he's chosen us in his great love to rescue us in, within our lifetime. He sends his spirit to open up our eyes that we might understand what we would not understand truly otherwise. And the Spirit takes the good news of Christ. He, he took on flesh, became a man. 
We celebrate that at Christmas. He lived a righteous life. He fulfilled all righteousness. And then he offered up that righteous life in our place on the cross to satisfy all righteousness as the ultimate human being. We're all made to to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love others. We've all fallen short. Christ alone obeyed. Christ alone fulfilled what humanity was called to be and to do. And then the amazing thing is he offered up that righteous life for sinners like you and me. On the cross, paying for our sins, offering his righteous life. That's what's going on in chapters 1 and 2, but it it doesn't just stop there because in chapter 2 he's going to talk about all these ramifications socially that come. And certainly foremost in that is the impact on the church, the people of God, and how he brings diverse people together, diverse ethnicities, diverse preferences, diverse situations, diverse statuses economically and otherwise, diverse giftings, all these things. He unites them in Christ. Former enemies come together to love each other as Christ has loved us, as God the Father has loved us in the power of the Spirit for our experience. So, so that's what's going on in chapter 2. And so that's what leads into for this reason. What is for this reason? Because of the good news of Christ. Because of the gospel. Because of Jesus. And all that leads from that. We will never stop probing the depths of the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, reigning and returning. We'll never stop probing that. We'll never stop experiencing the results of that as God's people. And the danger for us is to kind of stop short. Got that. Been there, done that. And you'll never been there, done that when it comes to the gospel and its implications. So that's why Paul says, for this reason, in light of this, because there's so much more that comes along with this, I'm going to pray these things for you. And as we'll see, he prays some pretty large, amazing things here. He goes on to, to say, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through, his, inner, through uh, his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul is praying, and he's praying a Trinitarian prayer. I hope you picked that up. He's praying for the whole Trinity to be at work and answering his prayer. He bows his knees before the Father. He recognizes that it all starts with the Father. The Father is an eternal Father. It is not an anthropomorphism. We don't like add Father so we can understand Him better. Take a human thing, this fatherhood, and put it on God. No, He's the original Father. And fatherhood derives from Him. And when it says that all, every family derives its name from Him, the word literally is every fatherhood derives its name from Him. So He's the original Father. What does that mean? Well, I think in the context we can see what it means. He asked for... for bows his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derived is named. So out of the original fatherhood is all other fatherhood, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you these things. This is the Father. This is the nature of the Father at work. He is ever giving, ever granting, ever flowing. He is the ultimate source, the ultimate resource. Everything comes from him. And so Paul goes to the Father recognizing he's the perfect Father. 
And so he bows his knees before the Father, asking this giver of every good gift, this one who is ever giving, who's created all families, all human families, all spiritual families too. So the implications is both heaven and earth, everywhere, right? All families, all, all living relational beings come from the Father. All the things that they experience, all their existence, all, all these things are sustained by the Father. And so Paul goes back to the Father to ask, to bow his knees and ask him. And we learn earlier in Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him. He is worthy of our gratitude and our worship. He's so good and so great. That's what Paul's saying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every Spiritual blessing that we could receive. Every good thing we have received in Christ. We are highly favored as his people. Not because we've earned it. Simply by his mercy. And then he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions, uh, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. What is Paul saying there? Blessed be this amazing father who has loved us from before time. And the reason that we're here as believers, if we put our faith in Christ, is not ourselves. Yes, we had a role in, in who we are and what we decide matters. It really matters. But behind that is the Father who has loved you. If you are a believer, you can know from this passage in Ephesians chapter 1 and throughout Scripture, it's because He's loved you from eternity past. The ground of, of your confidence for the Christian life and, and for your salvation and for your growth is the Father, not you. Now you might be wondering, like, what about someone who doesn't know the Lord? Well, we don't know. And what Scripture always says to such is, you don't need to try to figure that out. What you need to do is respond because it always involves your decision as well. So why not, right now, simply receive the good news for you? That's the call of Scripture. Receive it. Turn away from yourself and self-sufficiency. Turn away from sin and all the things that God says clearly that are wrong, lacking love for Him and for others. And receive this gift. And then you can know, well, it actually is because He's loved me from forever that He worked in my life right now that I could understand and grasp. But that's what's going on here. And that's what Paul is doing in his prayer. He's recognizing it's come from the Father. He is the source and the initiator of this great love. He is the one who invented love. He didn't just invent love though. He's been love forever. It comes out of him. He didn't think one day, I, hey, love would be cool to do. Let's do love. No, he is love. This is his character. To give himself for others for their good. That's, that's really good news. That's the basis. That's where Paul starts in his prayer. Looking to the Father. But he also recognizes that the Trinity works together, right? So he asks the Father, according to the riches of his glory, may grant you to be strengthened with power. And so the agency of his resources, the agency of his power is who? His Spirit. God of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is one and yet they have different economic functions. They work together. And the agency of, the, of accomplishing the Father's will through the Son for us is the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. 
He is active. And so Paul is praying that, that, that the Ephesians and God wants for us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to work in us power to be transformed. We have to be careful that we don't reduce Christianity to merely information and understanding, as important as that is. Christianity is essentially, it's, it's, it's non-negotiably, inextricably experiential. It is the Holy Spirit working in us. There is a subjective side to it coming from God himself, so our basis is not ourselves, but there is a, a part of it that's your experience. You are meant to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, improve your mind. Yes, discipline your lifestyle. Do all those things, but recognize unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. You need the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. And so Paul's praying that way. And if we are to understand the love of God, we must ask God for power. Ask the God, the Holy Spirit, to grant us the ability to grasp it and experience it and overflow with it. And often we can have a functional binatarian God because the Holy Spirit can freak us out. And, and I think we, we, we all can do this. It's just we're uncomfortable because the Spirit, Jesus says, is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You just feel the effect. And we don't like that necessarily, right? We need to have, we'd rather like know where this is coming from and where is this thing going I don't want to just be feeling something right now because I don't know where that's going to go. And I would say to you, sorry. God works that way. Now, we have guide, uh, guide, what are those things called? Guardrails, that's the word. We have guardrails and so forth. We have the, the word of God. We have the body of Christ. You have friends around you and if you get weird, we'll, we'll talk to you about it. We'll help you. But let us not Go the other way, right? Let us be a people, individuals that are ever looking for the Spirit to work. Help me. And let us not um, be embarrassed when there's something going on because often when the Spirit is moving, there, our whole being reacts. And we are intellectual beings. We are physical beings. We are emotional beings. Emotions are good. Emotions are not to rule us. Jesus is. But emotions are good. And so let's not freak out because... That will hinder things. Like, I, I don't want to do this. And, um, emotion isn't the goal. It's Jesus, right? But recognize the Spirit works at times. Don't hinder Him. Shutting things down because it just, this is embarrassing. Um, let Him work. Ask Him for more. Let Him blow on you in power. Let Him help you understand and grasp what you can't on your own. This infinite, glorious love that is beyond your understanding. So are you open and eager for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to communicate the love of God to you? Paul goes on here. He's asking for power from the Spirit that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. So all three persons of the Trinity are active here. 
And this is for Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith. That this is for Christ to, to indwell in the inner being of who you are. The, your heart or your soul, your inner person. The, the depths of who you are. The, the, the core of who you are. That's what he's talking about. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. This sounds like the sort of words that we would use for, for sharing Christ with someone who's not yet come to Christ, right? Pray this prayer, receive Christ into your heart. And that's a legitimate thing to say. But Paul's writing this letter to believers, people who already know Jesus. So what does he mean? That the Father might pour out from his riches this answer, that the Spirit might give power, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. The idea here is that Christ would come in and fill you and meet you and touch you in every aspect of your deepest person. That's the idea here. So this is about growth in Christ, transformation by Christ's active reign and rule in the depths of your person. Uh, Robert Munger's book, My Heart, Christ's Home. I don't know if you've ever seen that book. It illustrates this with the metaphor of the heart being like a house. And the heart is like a house, this great mansion of a house. And there are all sorts of rooms in the house. And as believers, we open the front door and we say, come in. You're in this is your home. You are in charge here. And that's a good thing. And that, that's, that's what happens with a genuine believer. You let him in. And, and if you're not yet a believer, I encourage you, just let him in. Say, yes, I want you to be in charge of my house. But it doesn't stop there. Because there's all sorts of rooms in the house. And there's rooms in the house that we don't even know about ourselves. There are these remote closets that are full of things where we don't want to see maybe. Maybe we've seen them here and there. We might not even be aware of these things. The, the whole house is full of different rooms. And, and the good news is Christ knows about every single room. There's no surprise here for him. But what Paul is praying is that Christ would come into the house and fill every single room. And when he comes into a room, he cleans that room out. And it can be uncomfortable. And it can feel awful. And you can, be, you can struggle with things, temptations and guilt and, and so forth as he does that. But he wants to come in and clean every single room, whether it's, whether it's guilt over some nagging sin. Maybe it's a past event. Maybe what it is in your life, it's, it's just something in, in your life where you're, you're used to doing things on your own. And he wants to teach you, no, we don't do things this way. You need to depend on me. And I want to change how you think about it. It might be just how you think about relationships and others. It might be how you, uh, what sort of preferences you live by. There's all sorts of things that he would want to address. And so this is the idea that Christ comes into every nook and cranny, every remote room, the big rooms, the small rooms, the hidden rooms, the obvious rooms, and he fills them all. He cleans them all out. He dwells in every single room. And of course, the context here makes it very clear that love is to fill every room. Christ is coming to fill every room, clean it out and fill it with love. Love for him, love for others, receiving his love, overflowing in love to others and how we live. Oh, there's so much ground to be gained here. Don't settle for where you are right now. There's more. What area of your heart do you need to let Christ come into to clean, to rescue, to fill, to empower? 
He wants to transform us. Paul goes on here. Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Then says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the, the dimensions of his love. Rooted and grounded. The, Paul uses two terms here. He repeats similar terms. But, but these are terms that speak of uh, like massive trees. I actually have a couple pictures of massive trees being rooted. Deep roots. That you being rooted in, and then the word grounded is, is the word laid to foundations. That you might be built on a rock. That you, as you experience this love, as the triune God works in your life, you find yourself deeply rooted. You're no longer someone with shallow roots. You have deep roots. And you have a, a firm foundation. Uh, uh, these, these are two of the largest trees in Massachusetts. I, I love trees. Um, and there are very few old growth trees in New England. So an old growth tree is a tree that uh, was never harvested by a human. Um, but that's continued to grow. So most of the trees were cut down in the early days, early colonial days. The Europeans at that time didn't understand conservation. So they just cut everything down. Um, but here's one tree in Sunderland, uh, which is Western Mass near the Connecticut, the previous tree, the, the, the sycamore there. That is the oldest tree, I think, in, in Massachusetts, about 400 years old. It's 140 feet high. The girth of the trunk, uh, you can kind of see it. That's a big house. That's a good-sized house next to it right there. Um, it's 25 feet around it. It's, it's like this around. Uh, and then the other tree is uh, an area I want to go see. Uh, there's a grove of pines out in um, Mohawk Trail State Park full of a number of trees over 150 feet high. That's one of the biggest. It's 171, 15 feet around, massive pine tree. Um, I just share that, I mean, because I love trees. No, I share that because, um, because that's a picture of what he wants to do in your life. He wants to root you and ground you so you become a massive tree, that you are fruitful, that your life is full of good fruit to the end, the long haul. I, as I get older, I just realize, like, I, I just feel like I see more and more of my own sin and weakness and I realized, like, I could just so quickly walk away and do the wrong thing. And I have to come back to this. So that I'm rooted and grounded. That I'm filled with his love. That I'm motivated by his love. That's what Paul's praying. That's what God wants for us. To be rooted and grounded in his love. That this experience of love, this knowledge of the love, would, would create something in us that gives us a, a solid place to stand in all of our being. Our understanding, our experience, who we are. He wants you to be rooted and grounded in his love. Why? That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of this love. To know the dimensions of this love. To, to know the, the size, the vastness of this love. It has massive dimensions. It's a huge love. It's a cosmic level, infinite, level of infinite proportions. It's a broad love. So the first term, the dimension is its breadth. I think we can understand that it's all-encompassing. And Paul has talked in chapter 2 about this all-encompassing nature of, that it brings in people from all different backgrounds. People that would never have been friends, never been in the same place at the same time. People from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of situations. People that have lived relatively good lives, People who have lived terrible lives. People who have been a mess. People who have seemed to have it together. All need Jesus. He brings us all together in this broad love. All types of people. All ethnicities. All, 
all shapes and sizes, all people brought together in love, receiving the love and then loving each other as Christ has loved us, as he's received us. It's a broad love. It's all-encompassing. It's length. It's, it's infinite in length. It's infinite in duration. It's from eternity past. It will go on for eternity future. It will never wane or change or fail. The love of God is powerful and infinite forever and ever. And he will save to the uttermost those who put their faith in him. It's an infinitely long love. It's a high and glorious love. It comes from God most high. He is the highest of the highest of the highest being there is. He is beyond comprehension. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in His glory, in His holiness, He is so far above us. And He is merciful, He's kind, and He is near us, but we must never take that for granted, thinking that He's just like us. He's a normal person. No, He is far greater. He's the eternal, He's the most high. And so when He loves us, it's amazing that the Most High would love us from eternity past and send His own Son for us. It is a high love. It is deep. It's deep enough to fill the gap between this Holy, Holy One and sinful rebels like you and me. It fills the gap. It bridges the gap. It makes a way for us through the cross of Christ. Paul is grasping at words here to try to describe this love, to try to convey to the Ephesians how great this love is. And it is something that, that ultimately can't be fully described because he says that to, in verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The words for surpass is like super excels. That's the word. So, it, so it's like it's way super duper beyond knowledge. It's it's knowing something that's not knowable. That doesn't mean you can't know it at all. It means you can't know all of it. That's the love of God. You don't get the love of God. I don't get the love of God. Don't say you do. You have so much more to learn. I have so much more to learn about the love of God and how incredible it is. It's the love of God. It's not human love. It's God's love. It's glorious. It's holy. It's perfect. It's beyond knowing. And what's the point in this that Paul's getting at? The end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What? Really? Yeah. And this is something that reverberates throughout Ephesians. This the idea of filling and fullness. The Ephesians are if you read in Acts, living in a culture that's full of the occult and spiritual warfare and darkness. And the danger, I think, living in with the reality of spiritual warfare is that you can begin to feel like life is full of darkness. Full of the activity of the enemy. And what Paul, I think, is getting at here is that no, 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 no. There's a greater fullness that is to fill you. And not only does it, is it to fill you, but he does fill the whole universe right now. There's not any place anywhere where he does not dwell and rule over and reign over. And so don't be afraid of the enemy. Yes, employ the spiritual armor he gives us, Ephesians 6. But the enemy is no match 
for the eternal one, the infinite one who fills all things. And so early on in Ephesians, he says he put all things, speaking of Jesus, under his feet, Ephesians 1, 22, and gave him as head over all things to the church. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to who? To the church, to you, to rule and reign for your sake, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the, to be and is the fullness of him. It's to be the full expression of who Christ is, the God-man in his glory. And that's us corporately, but that's us individually too. Both those things go together. He wants to fill you with the fullness of God. He wants to do something in you that's far beyond something you can ever understand or comprehend. He wants to fill you with the fullness of God. Now that fullness is, is power. It's infinite power. Um, it's, it's the fullness of God. God is infinite, right? Think about it. The fullness of God. He is infinite in his glory. He wants to fill us with his fullness. And that's like taking all the power of the sun. Think of the, the sun is 98 million miles away. And yet hot enough if we don't have protection and if there weren't an atmosphere to light things on fire here. 98 million miles away. That's how powerful it is. And yet the sun is made by God himself. So he's greater than the sun. But imagine taking the power of the sun and putting it in a little, a little pen light flashlight battery. That much power. And, and if you turn that on, you probably torch everything around you, right? But that's a, a metaphor for us. The fullness of God and all his glory and his love. He wants to fill us that we would experience and live in this. That's what he's saying here. That's what it means. I know you might think, how can this be? I don't know, but it says it here, and he wants to do it. He promises to do it. And so at least understand there's so much more growth for all of us. And so we should long for more and more. We should be both satisfied that we get to experience any of it, but dissatisfied and wanting more of it, more of your love. More of your power. More of you filling our lives. Giving us strength for faith. Love and enjoyment of you. Love for one another. Love to endure trials. Love to endure brothers and sisters who are hard to endure. All those things. Love for our neighbors who don't know Jesus. You and I need more of this. In conclusion, let me share the story of D.L. Moody. Many of you maybe have heard this. In the summer of 1871, D.L. Moody was a famous uh, evangelist from Massachusetts, worked out of Chicago. God used him to change, really, the country. In the summer of 1871, two women at D.L. Moody's congregation felt an unusual burden to pray for Moody. We have a picture of Moody to put up. That the Lord would give him the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fire. Moody would see them praying in the front row of his church, and he was irritated. But soon he gave in, and in September of that year, began to pray with him every Friday afternoon. He felt like his ministry was just becoming empty words with little power. Shortly after them praying for him in this, this time, this season, Moody had a life-changing experience. Upon locking himself in a room of a friend's house and seeking God in prayer, he says, One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. 
Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God was revealed to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small, a small dust in the balance. Ephesians chapter 3 makes it very clear that this isn't just for D.L. Moody. It's for you. All the saints, it says, right? All the saints. Are you one of the saints? And this is for you. You need the love of God. I need the love of God. And maybe for some of us, we've been trying too hard without going to the Lord in His love. You've been doing the right things. They're good things. But you know you've not done them all right. You feel weak. You feel weary. I think the Lord wants to visit you even today in the coming days, with power from the triune God to fill you up, to transform you in your life. As far as what you do, it might not look any different. Maybe just like D.L. Moody, you go back to the same things, but they're not the same anymore. There's fresh power, fresh faith, fresh joy. Let me just pray, and then I just want to take a minute or two before Toby comes up and transitions us, just to let you pray on your own. And just ask for more, more love, Lord, more of your power. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. You're ever giving and you'll never stop. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take from the Father and make it known to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your provision for us that we can be welcomed through you as sons and daughters. And you want to work these ways in our lives. There's so much more growth for us. So we ask you right now, both, both now, Lord, and we want this just to be something we do all the time from here on out. Fill us with power to grasp your love that we might be full of you and transformed by you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.